Awesome. Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Matthew, chapter 3. Matthew, chapter 3. Hold your spot there. We are continuing in the series we started a few weeks ago, about four weeks or so ago. Uh, this is message number four, I guess, so three weeks ago, called 316. And it just simply refers to different passages in the Bible that we find at that chapter 3, verse 16 spot. And uh, it's, it's been really interesting to kind of pull out some significant passages that, ironically, uh, just simply have that reference place. But 316 is the name the series today. We're going to add to that series with another message coming out of Matthew chapter 3. So uh, so really in our culture, what we often find is there are instances where there are symbols that communicate certain things to us, information, and that communicate identity. A variety of symbols in our culture, uh, all of them which communicate some type of a message. And uh, for example, one of those we've celebrated today. But here are a few that are in our culture. You look at this and you immediately recognize that as it's a U.S. Army vehicle, but you recognize what type of vehicle it is because of the symbol that's on it. That symbol communicates, it conveys information, and it conveys identity. That's what symbols do. It conveys information, and it conveys identity. What you recognize this as is, uh, is a, not this one, let's go back to the other one, is a, it, it's a medical vehicle. And really, the Red Cross was designed over 150 years ago to, uh, to help provide safety, security to those who are rendering medical aid on the battlefield. Still continues today. Not everyone acknowledges this on the battlefield, but many still do. And again, it's the symbol that communicates that information. It's the symbol that communicates that identity. If you're in the military at all, you look at this next one, you'll recognize what this is, especially if you're in the Army. This is uh, a sergeant. And when you see this displayed, again, it communicates information, tells you whose presence you're in the presence of, and it communicates identity. It identifies who that person is. From all the other people who are in the Army, when you see this or any other designation, you recognize, because of what the symbol conveys, who that person is and what their rank is immediately. You look at another one, flags often convey the same thing. They're symbols, whether it's our own U.S. flag as this one or another nation's flag of the hundreds that exist. What they do is they convey information and they convey identity as well. Now, it's not just national flags that fly. A lot of sports teams have flags that communicate certain things. This is the Atlanta Falcons. There's a reason we are suffering Falcons fans, right? I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan. This flag conveys information and it conveys identity, and a lot of that is not enjoyable, right? Uh, that's just sort of the nature of it. But this year, right, this year, uh, come fall, things are going to be a little bit different, but it's another type of a symbol. Now, you look at another symbol that conveys information and that conveys identity, and it's this. Anybody know what this is called? It's called the ichthus, right, if you're familiar with that. Or Christian fish, you see this a lot of times, not as much anymore, but on the back of cars, there'll be bumper decals or stuck on the back of someone's trunk. Now, interesting story about this is that this uh, symbol, the ichthus, the Christian fish or whatever you want to call it, uh, has been found all the way back dating to the second century and uh, was even found uh, back in the period of Roman persecution amongst believers as well. And this fish, it's interesting because it, many believe that it was a symbol that would help to identify believers, followers of Jesus, from one to another. One story that I've heard is that it was not uncommon for two travelers to be traveling down a road if one was a Christian 
they would very nonchalantly in the midst of persecution just kind of draw the top half of that fish with their foot in the ground or in the sand or in the dirt. And uh, if that other fellow believer, uh, that other fellow traveler was a Christian and they recognized that, then they would with their foot kind of complete the symbol, the sign, and, uh, and finish out the fish, so to speak. Very simple drawing, a little very simple rendering there. And it would identify them both as fellow followers of Jesus in the midst of a very hostile culture in the second century and beyond. And so a symbol like this, again, Again, is a, it conveys a message, it conveys information, it conveys identity. You look at our own cross back here in the baptistry, uh, uh, crosses whether you wear one around your, your, uh, your neck as a, as a pendant or whether you see it in a church or regardless, those also communicate a message, they communicate information, they communicate specifically identity. So what we've done today is, interestingly, we've been able to witness and to take part in and, and, and to see the two things that we find in the New Testament that are symbols that are continue to continue in the life of the church. One of those is the Lord's Supper, the other is baptism. So when Jacob was baptized earlier in the service and when we took the Lord's Supper today, both of those are mentioned in Scripture. Both of those, they're, they're standalone, but they communicate something. They are symbols that we read of in the Bible. They're symbols that communicate information, and they're symbols that communicate identity. Now, for the Lord's Supper, we celebrate that ongoing, and it re- somewhat represents not just the body and the blood of Jesus that was given for us, but it represents the ongoing fellowship we have as Christians. As I mentioned, uh, there are churches all over the world that are celebrating the Lord's Supper. Some do it every Sunday, some do it every other, some do it quarterly, monthly, what have you. But what we find is there are churches that are scattered that name the name of Jesus that are celebrating the Lord's Supper as a symbol of what Christ did for us. And then also it's a symbol of their unity together as part of the body of Christ also. And then the baptism typically happens once in a Christian's life. Now I know some of you have been baptized, maybe more than once, but typically it's one time, and that represents a a lot we're going to see in the message today. But it happens once because once we come into a relationship with God, nothing can take that relationship away. And so this morning what we're going to look at, we've celebrated the Lord's Supper But in the message today, we're going to look a little more deeply at the whole concept of baptism, what the Bible says about it, why it's important for us specifically. And in line with this series, we're going to make our main verse, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. So let me give you a principle here real quick, and then we'll begin to move through some passages of Scripture. And uh, two of these principles are going to be really, really helpful. The first one is this, that baptism does not accomplish salvation. You need to be really clear about that. Baptism doesn't accomplish salvation, but it does proclaim salvation. So whenever we think about baptism, there's this misunderstanding for a lot of people. Some of you may be even sitting here today to where you think, you know what, I'm saved because I have been what? I've been baptized. But the Bible never teaches us that. Nowhere in the Bible do we see that we're saved because we're baptized. We're going to look at a passage in just a moment that is often misunderstood and help to hopefully bring it to light just a little bit. But we're not saved by baptism because if we were saved by baptism, think about this logically. If we could just be baptized, if all I had to do was call up a pastor, call up a missionary, do whatever I needed to do to find some water, find somebody to baptize me, if that's all it took for me to be able to have a relationship with God and one day go to heaven, we have no way of explaining the, uh, what happened on the cross. We have no way of explaining why Jesus had to come, why he had to die, why he had to be risen from the dead if all we have to do to be saved is to be put under the water and brought back up again. So baptism does not accomplish salvation. Nowhere do we see that in the Bible, but rather what it does is is it proclaims salvation. Now, there are one or two passages in the Bible where it seems to indicate that we are saved because we're baptized. One of those is here in Acts chapter 2. Let me just hit on this for a second. 
So this is in Acts 2. The context here is that the church is being born. It's being brought into existence uh, at Pentecost. Acts 2, it says in verse 38, Peter said to them, repent. This is to the crowd that was there. Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we read that in the English language, and it seems to say, well, baptism is a part of salvation. We have to be baptized in order to be saved. There are whole entire denominations that would hold to this and that would teach this and would practice baptism in order to be saved, right? But, we, but there, it's a misunderstanding of what this verse is saying. So there's one word that I've highlighted up there. It's the English word for. It's a little preposition, three letters. It translates a little three-letter Greek word spelled E-I-S, and you find it all throughout the New Testament. Again, we translate it as for here, but it could also rightly be translated because of. Think about it this way. Let's just say that I come to you and I say, hey, take two Tylenol for your headache. All right, take two Tylenol for your headache. What I'm not telling you is take two Tylenol and you're going to have that long-awaited headache that you've been waiting for all week long, all right? I'm not saying take two Tylenol so that you can get a headache. I'm saying take two Tylenol because of your headache, all right? Does that make sense? Make sense? Uh, so, so when people read this verse, let's bring it back up again, and it says, well, they go to Peter, and they say, well, he told folks to, to repent, to be baptized for so that they can be saved. That's not the understanding of that verse. The understanding of that verse, better translated in English, would be be baptized because of your forgiveness of sins, because you've given your life to Jesus. And whenever we come to passages like this that are hard to understand, we always interpret them in light of those passages that are very, very clear. And when you go to John 3.16, there are a few passages more clear than John 3.16. What does it say? We looked at this verse just last week. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him doesn't say anything about also being baptized. You would think it would be included, right, in God's word. you think it would be included if it was a necessity for salvation. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And there's so many other passages that are similar to that that teach us that we are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Not by our works, not by joining a church, not by giving money, not by uh, being good or doing enough good deeds. We're not, we're not saved by any of those things. We're saved when we respond to the gospel by turning from our sin, trusting Christ with our lives, believing on him, placing our faith in him. So baptism is not a part of salvation to where it accomplishes it. What it does is, is that it ultimately proclaims it. A lot of times whenever I, I, um, when I baptize, many of you have heard this illustration before, I'll use my wedding ring as an example. By the way, I had this on for 20 years, just earlier this past week, which is awesome. It's a miracle for Susie that, that, um, that she would stay with me that long, right? Because I'm not always that easy to live with. And so I take this wedding ring off that I'm not now suddenly unmarried, right? I could have put this on when I was six years old. You know, I could have taken my dad's wedding ring and put it on, and it didn't suddenly make me married. You know, it's not about the ring. The, the ring doesn't make me married. It's a lot harder to get off, by the way, than it used to be 20 years ago. This ring doesn't make me married. It's, my, my marriage is not, is not um, accomplished through this ring. It's symbolized by this ring. And baptism is much the same way, right? Our salvation is not accomplished through baptism. It's proclaimed through baptism. Here's a second takeaway. Then we're going to start working through this passage of Scripture. That baptism is also a public 
proclamation, if it, if it proclaims our salvation, how does it do that? It proclaims ultimately our identification with Jesus, that we are identified with him. It's a way, just like Jacob did, to boldly stand before a group of people and without even saying a word to say, I am proud to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That's what it communicates. It's a way that we identify with him. Now, now for us, we've sort of grown accustomed to baptism in our own country. It's very safe to get up here in this baptistry in the water. We've never lost a one yet, right? We've never had current sweep anybody away. Almost did in the Philippines, um, but we've never lost anybody up here. It's very safe. The worst that can probably happen to you up here, and, and some people will say this, <laughs> I, I kind of understand, but I kind of don't. It's like, well, I don't want to get wet in front of everybody. Well, listen, if that helps you to be baptized, you never baptized, I'll go under with you if that helps, right? We'll both be wet in front of everybody, right? Because it's not about that necessarily. This is very safe, but there are certain cultures in the world, if you were in certain countries today and you placed your faith in Jesus and you chose to identify with him through your baptism because that's what baptism is and everybody knows that, if you were to be baptized in certain cultures today out in public, that public identification with Jesus would be a very risky move, it's because it pictures, it communicates, it symbolizes that we are identifying ultimately with Christ. And so what did it look like in Matthew chapter 3? We're in 316, right? Chapter 3 verse 16 talks about baptism. In this context, it's Jesus' baptism specifically. So let's read verse 16. Then we're going to back up into chapter 3, and we're going to give a little bit of um, context to it that will help us to understand. So Matthew 3, verse 16, it says, After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. So Matthew captures here in chapter 3, verse 16, the baptism of Jesus. So if you're insightful, you're already thinking, exactly, you know, what exactly is going on with this? Because if baptism shows that I've been forgiven of my sins, that I've repented, placed my faith in Jesus, then why is Jesus being baptized here? And that's a great question because his baptism is different from our baptism. He had no sins to be forgiven of. He had no sins to repent of. His baptism communicates a little bit something differently for us that we're going to see unpacked here as we move through chapter 3. So let's go back to chapter 3, verse 1, and let's begin to move through a little bit more slowly. It says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to, John the Baptist is, by Isaiah the prophet, when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So Isaiah, 750 years before, prophesied that John the Baptist would come and proclaim the way of the Messiah. Verse 4, now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then Jerusalem was going out to him, all Judea, all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him, by John the Baptist, in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. So remember, baptism was in response to their repentance. So what exactly is John's baptism? This is an important distinction. So remember in this passage, Jesus has not yet died on the cross, He's not yet been, been crucified. He hasn't, he hasn't been buried and he hasn't risen from the dead. His ministry is just beginning. 
what John's baptism was, and you see this later in Acts, we won't go there, but, but what John's baptism was, his baptism was a baptism of repentance, okay? Don't get lost in the weeds here. Just, just, just try not to glaze over. Just follow me because this is important. So when John was baptizing here, he was baptizing primarily Jews, and when he would baptize them, they were coming to be baptized, and in that, they were communicating, we are repenting, we're turning from our sin, right? We're going to obey the laws of God, and we are waiting for the Messiah. That was John's baptism. We're turning from our sins, we're going to obey God, and we're waiting for the Messiah to come. And as John would baptize, people would come to him, and they would come from near and far in order to be baptized. And his message, if you look in verse 2, was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Go down to verse 5. It says, then Jerusalem was going out to him, all Judea, all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Many people were coming to him. They were, they were coming to him for this baptism of repentance. Look in verse 7. It says, when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, right, these were the ones who would later uh, ultimately crucify Jesus, he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you, from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Here's what the, here's what the Sadducees and the Pharisees were doing. They were religious leaders. They were coming to John to be baptized, just going through the motions. They were jumping through the hoops. They didn't care a thing about repenting of their sins. They wanted to be in control, right? They wanted to call the shots. They would later be responsible for crucifying Jesus. John saw right through it. They came to be baptized. They treated it like a ritual, not as a, some, a symbol of what had changed in their hearts. And, and John basically said, hit the road. This, this is not for you. You're not there. Right? This is more than what you think it is. You go a little bit further, Matthew tells us a little bit more. Look in verse 11. He says, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, speaking of the Messiah, of Jesus, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So what does he talk about there? He says, that he's kind of pointing ahead to that moment that when we give our lives to Jesus, when we place our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell within us. That's why for you as a Christian, you can honestly say, I'm never alone because God is with me. It's not because physically Jesus is right there with you. It's because when you place your faith in Christ, not when you were baptized, when you gave your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live within you. If you're a Christian, you leave and go to work tomorrow, and, and you, you drive to work, you're not going alone. God is going with you. The reason is not because Jesus is buckled in physically in, in the next seat over in your vehicle. The reason is because the Holy Spirit indwells your life. And John is kind of pointing to this. He said, there's going to be one coming after me, a Messiah. We know now this is Jesus. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Look down in verse... Uh, Look down in verse 13, go a little bit further. He says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. So Jesus walks. Some have said he walked as far as 60 miles for this baptism. Verse 14, But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And John understood, Why am I baptizing you? You have no sin. You have no need of repentance. Th this is a baptism of repentance. Why are you coming to me for baptism? Look at what Jesus' response was in the next verse, in verse 15. 
But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he permitted him. So the, the reason for Jesus' baptism was not to show that he had been lost and was now saved. <laughs> it wasn't to show that he had been a sinner and had somehow been forgiven. No, he is identifying with John's ministry. It's like a passing of the torch. John had been baptizing saying, hey, guys, a Messiah is coming. And now Jesus is saying at his baptism, I'm him. I'm the Messiah that you've been waiting on. This is to fulfill all righteousness, not to demonstrate that Jesus was being, had been forgiven, but demonstrating that he was the long-awaited Messiah. And in his baptism, he set this picture, painted this picture for us that as we give our lives to him, we follow his example in our own baptism ultimately as well. Go down to verse, uh, verse 16. It says, so after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now it's interesting because here in this passage we learn a few things about baptism that's going to be nailed down tight later in the New Testament. One thing we pull out of this passage, let's go back to verse 16. It, is it says Jesus came up immediately from the water. So when you think about how baptism takes place, the picture of Jesus' baptism is that he was immersed, right? He was put under the water, just like we baptize here in our church. It takes a good bit of water to do this. There's no picture in the Bible of sprinkling or any of that. It's, it's being immersed. It's the picture of Jesus, right? That's how he came up out of the water. In the New Testament, when you see baptism take place, it's, it's always that way. It's always in the life of one who has made a decision to place their faith in Jesus, a conscious decision that I'm going to follow Christ. Baptism pictures that. In the New Testament, when you see baptism take place, it, it's always an adult who's made the decision to follow Jesus. It, it's, not an, it's not an infant. Some of you, maybe, your parents had you baptized when you were in, an infant. You didn't really have a say in it, right? It's no, no fault of yours, necessarily. Uh, their hearts were in the right place. But scripturally, in the Bible, we don't see a picture of infants being baptized. The reason for that is because of what baptism symbolizes. It symbolizes that we have made a decision to place our faith in Jesus. We don't put wedding rings on six-month-olds, right? We don't do that. It, 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 we, the, you get a wedding ring when you consciously make a decision that I'm going to commit myself to my spouse from this day forward, right? For me to my wife Susie, from this day forward, I'm going to commit myself to my wife Susie, and I put on the wedding ring that demonstrates that. In Scripture, it's always an adult who's made the decision to follow Christ. Maybe some of you, you were baptized as an infant. You later gave your life to Jesus. It was an act of your will. You made that decision, but you've never been baptized because you've always kind of thought, well, I was baptized way back when I was a baby. Well, the, the Bible paints a different picture of what baptism looks like, right? It's believer's baptism for those that have chosen to follow Christ. And by the way, in verse 16 to 17, it's really cool because you, you see a picture of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in verse 16 and verse 17. Some people will say, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Um, the word literally is not in the Bible. That, that's, not, um, that's not a problem because you see the concept of the Trinity Often in the New Testament, this is one place. You see Jesus, God the Son, being baptized. You see the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, who is descending uh, from heaven. And then you hear the voice of God the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. But when you think about what baptism specifically communicates, remember, symbols convey information. Symbols 
convey identity. Baptism is no different. It communicates two things. It communicates, one, that Jesus himself was buried. He died and was buried, and he rose again. Every single time we see a baptism take place, it's the gospel being proclaimed. Jacob, at his young age, proclaimed the gospel today through his baptism. He pictured for all of us what it looked like that Jesus literally died, was buried, and then he came up and rose again. But baptism also pictures what happens to us when we've given our lives to Jesus, right? It pictures that our old life has been buried. That's really good news. Our sins have been buried. They don't come up with us. (laughs) But it pictures that when we come up, it pictures and symbolizes not just are our sins buried, but also when we gave our lives to Christ, that he made us a new creature. Look at what it says in Romans, talking about that buried part of it. It says if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, we've given our lives to Christ, we've died to ourselves, surrendered our lives to Jesus, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. That did not happen at baptism. That happened when you said, Lord Jesus, will you forgive me and take over? Your old life was crucified with him. In order that our body of sin might be done away with. Your sins are never held against you anymore by God so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. Then you add to that 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. What does this say? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, resurrected, so to speak, brand new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Baptism pictures all of that. Jesus showed us how important it was when he was baptized. All throughout the pages of the New Testament, we see that it's accomplished, that that new believers are being baptized. 3,000 were baptized at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when the church was born that day. It is a big deal. Not so that we can be saved, but many times it's that first step of obedience as a new Christian where we choose to be baptized because we are. And we proclaim not just the gospel, but the difference that he's made in us as well. Many of you, you remember when you were baptized. I remember as a little kid when I was baptized, I had placed my faith in Christ, and I wasn't baptized so that I could go to heaven. I had already made that decision, and I remember the pastor of the church where I was. I was a little kid at Calvary here in, in Savannah, in, in, in town, Calvary Baptist in Savannah, and, and uh, was baptized there as a little kid, but it wasn't the baptism. It was giving my life to Christ in my backyard. It gave me a relationship with God. Many of you remember when you were baptized. You still you cherish that because you, you remember what it was like to boldly proclaim that you were a follower of Jesus. Others of you in this room, just going off the sheer numbers, right? you probably made that decision to trust Christ, but you've never been baptized the way Scripture speaks of. And here's my challenge to you. That connection card in front of you, hopefully, not me, but, but the Bible has highlighted enough already how important it is to be baptized as Christians to, to uh, identify with Christ that way publicly. But that in front of you is a connection card, and on the reverse side of that, the second one down, it's blue in color. It says baptism. If you've never been baptized, and yet you've given your life to Christ already, and, and you say, you know what, Brooks, I, I've, I've just sort of held this off for too long, and I understand it better now, and I'm ready for this, why don't you consider checking that box and letting us know? We'll reach out to you, and we'll schedule a time when you can be baptized, just like what you witnessed today. And it won't accomplish your salvation, but it'll give you the opportunity like 
hundreds of thousands and millions of people before you who have stood in the water and have boldly proclaimed that I'm a follower of Christ. And if you've never done it, it's simply your choice. Maybe you say, Brooks, I've never given my life to Jesus to begin with. I've never even trusted my life to Christ. I've never chosen to follow him. Listen, being baptized isn't going to accomplish it. Joining a church isn't going to accomplish it. Giving a lot of money and a plate or doing a lot of good deeds or going on a mission trip or trying to clean up some areas of your life isn't going to give you a relationship with God. The only way that's going to come is when you make a decision long before or before the baptism to say, Jesus, would you forgive me and would you save me? And he'll meet you right where you are, no matter how deep that ditch may be, no matter how much baggage from the past, he'll meet you right there and he will forgive you and he will take over if you invite him to. You know, so important is this issue of of baptism that Jesus, before he went back to the Father, he gave a commission to the church. And he said, go and preach the gospel to all nations to make disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Leading people to Christ through relationship with Jesus that's rooted in repentance and faith, and then showing that through their baptism. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't know how this unpacks for you. You know, sometimes there is a place where it's beneficial for us to to just preach on or deal with a topic that, that sometimes is so misunderstood just so that we can be clear of what the Bible says. And no, this hasn't been a message that has tried to compel us to be more committed in our lives overall or to clean up certain areas of our lives. This is just simply a message that's dealt with a doctrine called baptism. But maybe for you it unpacks in a very specific way. Maybe for you that decision, that application is to say, you know what, I've never done this and I I need to, I'm ready. Maybe for some of you, you've never placed that faith in Christ to begin with. Or maybe for others, you've done this. You've trusted Christ. You've been baptized, but, but you've forgotten the cost. You know, it's a day like this when we take the Lord's Supper and when we look at what it means to be baptized that reminds us that we're not saved by accident. We're not saved in cheap fashion. That Jesus paid the highest cost, his own life, so that we could have relationship with God. So whatever your application is, why don't you trust him today and follow wherever he's leading. God, we thank you today for your word that speaks so clearly. Thank you for this picture of baptism that has often been misunderstood as being something that's necessary to be saved. It's often been misunderstood as something that uh, is a ritual or just some hoop to jump through. Lord, it's none of that. It's not an accessory. But Lord, it is an important component of our obedience that as believers, you call us to be baptized. And that in that, it's a communication, it's a symbol that communicates that we're a different person, we have a new identity, and it communicates that that info that says that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. God, may we be bold to take that step. And God, once we've done it, may we be bold to live out that gospel every day as we walk our own walk of obedience. God, thank you for offering salvation. Thank you for saving us, and thank you for using us to make a difference in this world that gives you honor and glory. Help us to walk with you, we pray in Jesus' name.